Uh, let me start off by saying, first of all, thanks for everybody for last week. Had a great time downstairs, and uh, if you didn't make it, you missed out. We had a great breakfast down there last uh, Sunday morning, so thanks for everybody for your participation, and we will definitely do that again. Um, uh, heads up, next week they'll be doing the, uh, the children's uh, presentation next Sunday morning, so we will probably have an abbreviated Sunday school to give them time to get up here and get all the kids in place and, and all that kind of stuff, so next week will probably be a little bit shorter. And then uh, if you would be in prayer for next year as we're getting ready to, we'll finish up our study this year. We were going through the 52 favorite chapters of the Bible. I will say we did not get through all 52. Uh, we, we're we're going to come probably about 12 short, <laughs> so sorry about that. Uh, a couple of chapters took more than one week. A couple of weeks we had other things, uh, missionaries here or whatever. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll do our best to kind of wrap it up. But then next year... Uh, be, be in prayer for that. Um, I've been talking about this for a couple of years, and I've been very uh, uh, intimidated, really, uh, to take on doing a study of the life of Christ and going through um, the Gospels in greater detail. And so next year in 2024, uh, God willing, you be praying for this, that we'll go through and we'll do a study of the life of Christ. Um, I think the approach that we'll take, and I've, I've discussed this as well, that it, I, it's, it's reported that in the gospel, we'll, we're going to find out, I guess, it's reported in the gospel that there's only, I think, 50, uh, 54 days of Jesus' life recorded in the gospel, which is almost 52, which is how many weeks are in a year. Uh, now, some of those days were, you know, the, it consists of like one verse, and then you have the, obviously like the day of crucifixion, there's chapters and chapters on that day. So, We'll try and do our best to balance that out, and the plan would be to go through the life of Christ and look at the 52 days of Christ, or the 54 days of Christ throughout uh, 2024. So uh, that will be the approach anyway. We'll see how it goes. It may, we may go off the rails real quick. I don't know, uh, but that will be the, the plan for 2024. So uh, be in prayer for that. This morning we'll be back in the book of Hebrews. That's where we were, we were two weeks ago. We were in Hebrews chapter one. Once again, we're going through the. Uh, the 52 favorite chapters of the Bible are close to it, uh, and uh, last week was Hebrews chapter 1. Now, we had uh, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 10, and Hebrews 11 all nominated, um, so a lot of, so we had four chapters out of the book of Hebrews, which I think was the, the most, or, well, the second most after the book of uh, Psalms. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to do my best to try and kind of combine those three chapters into today. Uh, so we have a lot of ground to cover, but... Um, think uh, we'll be able to at least hit the high points um, before we leave today, and then uh, we'll finish up. Uh, we have actually only have a couple weeks left in this year, so we'll just, I'll kind of just pick a couple uh, to finish up on. But we started in Hebrews chapter 1, and last week we spent some time talking about the context, or two weeks ago, I apologize, um, talking about the context. And once again, the book of Hebrews was written to first century Hebrew Christians. So these are people that came out of Judaism, they, were, they received the gospel, they heard that the Messiah had come. They had, uh, they had turned to Christ in faith, uh, but these people, in many cases, were facing severe uh, opposition. They were facing severe persecution because, once again, they, they, in order to become a Christian, they had to kind of turn their back on, you know, the old, the, 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 a lot of their former family. Uh, certainly, it impacted their, society, their status in society. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that um, Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians talks to that church about sending offerings to uh, Jerusalem to help those Christians that had put their faith in Christ and as a result lost their job, lost their family, lost, lost all support. And these people were, uh, if you recall back in the book of Acts, the Bible says that they sold all their possessions, had all things in common. 
Now, I've heard people take that portion of Scripture and say that we should live like in a, con- in a, a communal kind of existence. That's not what was going on. They had to do that because they lost their jobs. They lost everything. And in order to survive, everybody sold their stuff, and they all lived together, and they lived off of off those things. But the bottom line is these were people that had a great temptation to go back, to go back to where, to that, to that, that dead religion that could not save. They were, there was a great temptation. It would, it would have been so easy to go back to the way life used to be and just go back to normal and get rid of all this, you know, opposition and all the, all the things they were facing, all the hostility around them. And so this letter was written. We don't know who the human penman was, but certainly we know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But this letter was written to encourage them to not go back and to challenge them and to remind them that Jesus is better. He's better than what you had before. Jesus is better. And, he's, and that's true for us today. Um, I don't know about you, but before I got saved, what I had in my life was just a bunch of shame and guilt. Can I tell you, Jesus is better than that. Amen. And maybe some of you, maybe you got saved at a later, later age in your life. Maybe you came out of, uh, maybe you came out of religion. Maybe you came out of uh, some kind of idolatry. Uh, can I tell you, Jesus is better. Don't go back to that. And so this book, this, uh, the book of Hebrews, was written to remind us to do not go back, to not fall back, and that Jesus is better. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about some of the key thoughts, uh, which we mentioned here, which is the, the word better is used again and again throughout the book of Hebrews, not just the word better, but also heavenly. This is a reminder to live our life for heavenly purposes, not earthly purposes. So this word heavenly is repeated again and again. And then, and then, uh, and then the word that you see repeated uh, very frequently also in addition to better and heavenly is the word once, that Jesus came to die once for all. Um, and so we don't have to continue to offer sacrifices daily like they did in the Old Testament to cover our sins and to make atonement that Christ has made the ultimate uh, uh, price of redemption has been paid ultimately by Jesus Christ. We, we don't have to keep doing that. And so that has been settled once and for all. And so this morning, what we're going to do is, as I said, we're going to try and uh, approach several different chapters of the book of Hebrews. But what I want us to look at are about some warnings that are given um, to these believers in the book of Hebrews about our relationship with the Word of God. And so we're going to look at a couple different portions of Scripture where the author is reminding them, encouraging them, provoking them to, uh, to make sure that their relationship with the Word of God is where it needs to be. Because if your relationship with the Word of God is not where it needs to be, you will be a weak Christian. Um, you, will, you, will, you, will be, you will face greater temptation to fall back to the life that you had before you came to Christ. And so that's what we'll be looking at here this morning. We'll begin in Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read the first four verses here talking about our relationship to the Word of God. And it says here in verse number 2, uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter number 2, verse number 1, Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the words spoken by angels would said steadfast, now what's this talking about? It's talking about the Old Testament. The word of God given through angels. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So what this author is saying is he's saying, listen, it, uh, especially these people coming out of um, coming out of Judaism that were turning their turning to put their faith in Christ, he's saying, listen, if if you were if you knew that you had to obey the law in the Old Testament 
the word, the, 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 the prophecies given to you by angels, if you knew that was steadfast and sure and you had to obey every single bit of it, how much more should we obey the word given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Because he's so much better than angels. Uh, and, and, he, and if you continue to read through the uh, chapter 2, this is really the, the comparison that's being made is that Jesus is greater or better than the angels. Now that's kind of, that seems to us, we're like, of course, that makes total sense, right? We, we've grown up being taught that from a very young age. And in our mind, angels, especially at Christmas time, we kind of have this, you know, this idea that this is what an angel looks like. And I'm like, I mean, that's, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but if you look at what the Bible's description of an angel is, it's not a feminine looking, you know, a little halo on its head kind of floating around. That's not an angel. These were, these were powerful supernatural beings that could kill tens of thousands of people at one time. I mean, there's a lot of fear around angels. Now, we think about angels. I think about, you know, Michael London, Highway to Heaven, right? That's what I think about when I think about an angel, right? So there's this, there's this instruction here given that Jesus was better than angels. And so if you believe the, the testimony given by angels, how much more should we give focus and attention? Should we take heed to those words given to us by the Lord? And that's really the thought here. He says in verse number one, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. It's very easy as a, as a believer, as a Christian, to begin to neglect the Word of God, to, become, to, be, to, be, to drift from the Word of God. It's very easy. It really, only, it really only requires one thing. There's a story in the New Testament, Paul's preaching in the, in the book of Acts. He's preaching, and there's a, uh, there's a man named Eutychus, and while Paul is preaching, the story goes that this, uh, this, this young man begins to drift off to sleep, because I guess Paul was pretty long-winded, and the way the story goes is Eutychus falls out the window and he dies. And whenever this happens, Paul goes down and, uh, and he lays upon him and he revives Eutychus from the, from the dead. Uh, but whenever I think about that story, I always think about, like, well, how do you fall out of the window? Well, the answer is simple. There's more outside of the window of your body than inside the window. Yeah. At some point, that balance of 50-50 tips to 51% and you fall out of the window. That would be true for all of us. If we went up to a building and we looked out, the moment that most of your body gets outside that window, you're going to fall, yeah. right? This, this, this basic, you know, you know, gravity, right? The same thing is true when it comes to drifting from the Word of God. All it takes is you putting more of the world inside of you than the, than the Word, and you will drift from the Word. That's all it takes. You, you, you know, you, like, you, can't, you, cannot escape, uh, you cannot escape consuming through your eyes, through your ears, things going on in the world around you. Uh, and you can't escape that. And as a Christian, it's important that we make sure that we stay balanced by also not just, not just seeing what's going on in the world around us, not just watching the news, not just reading the newspaper, but also, also dwelling and feasting and, and feeding our spiritual life by the Word of God. And the moment that you get more of the world inside of you than the Word inside of you, you begin to drift from the Word. What I'm saying is like, you can't sit there and watch Fox News 24-7 and it not have an impact upon you. You can't sit there and watch MSNBC and CNN for 24 hours and it not have an impact upon you. It's going to influence you. It's going to, you can't sit there on social media for hours and hours a day and not think that it's not going to have an impact upon you. It's not going to have an influence upon you. You're going you're to hear compelling things. You're going to hear reasonable things. You're going to hear things that make total sense according to human nature, but not according to the Word of God. Amen. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe those things more then we believe these things. And so the author is saying, therefore we, must, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip 
That's what he's talking about. He's talking about this slipping, this neglecting, this distraction that leads us to begin to believe the things the world tells us more than what God tells us. And whenever we, and whenever we do that, that's whenever we begin to slip. And it's very easy. Uh, imagine maybe, uh, you know, you're... Your, uh, your, your, you know, your, your life is coming to an end and you have a moment to gather your family around you and you just have a few final last words you want to give your loved ones, right? That would be pretty important, wouldn't it? That would be some pretty, some pretty important things you'd want to pass on. Like, if there's nothing else I can tell you, if there's one bit of experience I can give you with all my life, family, please listen to these words. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a portion of Scripture that kind of gives us a close example. Let's turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter number four, and if you, if you understand this portion of scripture, what's happening here is Solomon is writing to his son, and he's giving him, and the whole book of Proverbs is really wisdom from the wisest man that ever lived, and he's giving it to, his, to the people, his, specifically his, his children, but for all those that would read these words later, and this is, I want you to notice here in Proverbs chapter four, and we'll begin reading in verse number 20, uh, and, and, here, and here, here the king, he's, he's saying, listen, there's some, there's some important stuff I need to tell you. I don't want you to miss this. He says, my son, attend to my words. Incline thy ear into my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them, uh, keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health unto all their flesh. So what he's saying is, listen, son, I'm fixing to tell you something really, really important. And I don't want you to miss this. I want to make sure you, you, you understand how important what I'm fixing to tell you is. Bond it to your heart. Don't let it go away. Make sure you don't miss what I'm fixing to tell you. What does he have to tell him? What's he say in verse number 24? I'm sorry, verse number 23. What's, what's, the, what's the, the big important message he has for a son that he doesn't want him to miss this? Son, incline thy, thy ears unto me. Listen to what I have to tell you. Bind it to your heart. Don't miss this. What is it? He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So King Solomon is speaking to his son, writing these Proverbs. And he says, listen, son, if there's one thing I can tell you, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to make sure that you, you get this as clear as I can. Keep your heart with all diligence. What is that verse saying? He's saying you need to guard your emotions. You need to guard your heart. You need to guard what comes inside because out of your heart come the issues of life. You know, the, the, you know, in in, a, in in IT. If you guys are, if any of you guys work in IT, I don't, but I've um, uh, I've, I've been around them, and in the, the many times I make this comment: garbage in, garbage out. Right? You put bad data in. You're going to get bad data out. The same thing is true of your heart. If you put bad data in there, bad beliefs, and here's the truth, like, this plays out, this plays out every day in, in Christians. Uh, you know, uh, the common, the, 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 uh, the, the popular ver, uh, verbiage that we use today is, I'm deconstructing my faith, yeah. is what people, have you heard people say that before? I'm deconstructing my faith. You know, I was raised in church as a young person. I was brainwashed by my parents. Oh, oh, you know, terrible thing that a parent would try and raise a child in church and teach them about Jesus Christ. That's a terrible thing, right? But I was brainwashed as a child, and now as an adult, I'm deconstructing my faith. That's what they will say. Yeah. That's, 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 that, they, they will say, I was brainwashed as a kid. Now I'm older and I know better, and I've, I'm deconstructing my I don't believe those fairy tales like I used to when I was a kid. That's the way that they will say it. But it's not, it doesn't just happen to Christians, it happens to countries. And I think America is a great example, in a bad way, of what America was originally intended and founded upon. We have drifted from that. 
We have drifted from that. And why is that happening? Why does it happen to Christians? Why does it happen to countries? Because we begin to believe the things the world tells us more than what the Bible tells us. And we begin to slip. We begin to drift. And that's what he says here. Then in verse number one, he says, lest at any time we should let them slip. That word slip there, it's, uh, it's, it's referring to the way that a boat, uh, you know, if you put a boat out in the water on the ocean and you don't have it anchored and you just let the waves carry it wherever it wants to go, that boat's gone. Yeah. You'll probably never see that boat again. But that word there, slip, it wasn't just used for that purpose. They were, in, in Greek, they would use this word for a couple of different ways. They would use it as in like people would have uh, arrows in their, in their quiver and they'd be running around and the arrow would fall out. And they'd say, oh, it slipped. That's not the only way they use that word. They'd also use that word whenever they were maybe eating something. Have you ever been in a situation where eating something and you begin to choke on it? It slipped down the wrong, you know, the wrong, that went down the windpipe, right? Uh, and so they would, but can I tell you, that's, that's what happens. It's, it's not intentional. We don't set out to, to neglect the word of God. We don't set out to, nobody slips on purpose. It's always an accident. It's never intentional, but that's why it's so important that we guard our heart. That we guard our heart because out of it come the issues of life. Because if we're not careful, we'll, we'll begin to believe more what the, 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 the newscaster tells us more than what God's word tells us. Right. We'll begin to believe more than what some influencer on social media that has a completely fake life. They're trying to just impress people with just fake things. But we'll think it's real and we'll, and we'll be deceived. It won't be on purpose, but we'll begin to, to, to neglect the word of God. And can I say that's the first step towards destruction. It's just neglecting the word of God. It doesn't take much. And it, and it never happens on purpose. There's a tragic story a couple of years ago. I've told, this in, I've told this in here before, but maybe there's some new people that haven't heard this. But uh, a few years ago, some men were out hiking in Pennsylvania, and they came across this, uh, this beaten down, worn out tent. And inside of it, they found a, 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 a sleeping bag with the remains of a woman inside of there, and they found a diary. And they began to read this diary of this woman, and they found her name. You can look this up. Her name was Geraldine Largay, I think. You can Google this if you want to read the whole story. Geraldine Largay, and, and uh, she was a retired nurse, and she wanted to go hike the Appalachian Trail. It had been like a desire of hers, you know, for many years. She wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. So if you're familiar with that, they start hiking it down in Georgia, and they hike all the way up to um, Maine, and they end on Mount Washington as their, as their kind of their finishing spot, the, the summit of Mount Washington up in Maine. And so this lady was hiking, and she'd gone for several, it takes several months to do it. Usually people do it over the course of a summer. And she was hiking with a friend, and they got to Pennsylvania, and her friend got hurt. She sprang an ankle or something, and she had to go home. And so Geraldine made the decision, I'm going to keep pressing on. I want to finish. We're so close. We're only, you know, a few weeks away from finishing. So she continued to carry on, and her friend went home. And one day, she had to use the restroom, so she went off trail. And in her diary, she says she didn't go farther than 50 yards, which isn't very far. 50 yards is not very far. But she went off trail about 50 yards to get a little privacy to take care of business, and whenever she turned around, she could not find the trail. She, 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 she was so close, and she, but she couldn't see it because of the brush that was obstructing her view, and she began to, she began to just go in circles, and she began to get lost, and then, and then people, you know, she had a certain schedule, and if she wasn't in a certain spot, you know, they send out the rescue party, and, and so many people were just heartbroken that everybody that saw an older lady on the trail was saying, I saw her here and I saw her here. And so they were searching for her all the way from Georgia to Maine trying to find this lady. And they never found her. In her diary, it says she lived for about two weeks in her diary. And she could not, she, she, she would talk about how she could see the helicopter searching for her, but she could never find her way back to the trail. 
And she ended up dying uh, of starvation and, and being exposed out into the elements. And in her diary, she said, please, whoever finds me, please make sure you get this diary to my husband so he'll know what happened to me. Terrible, terrible tragedy. But it wasn't on purpose. She didn't set out to do that. She just went off the trail a little bit. And as a Christian, well, what a warning to stay on the trail. To, you know, Jesus talked about there's a straight and a narrow way. And there's another path we can go down. It's broad and it's wide. And, and it's important as Christians that, that, that in those moments where we feel influenced by the world, because it's powerful, that influence of the world, you know, like I said, that you will hear things that seem, sound reasonable. You will hear things that seem like they make sense. And then you will read things in the Bible that don't seem reasonable. And they don't make sense. But faith tells us, I believe God's word over what the world tells me. And so there's this, there's this warning. Don't just go with the flow. Make sure that you're anchored. Don't be like that boat that just gets carried away. Make sure you have anchored, you're anchored in Christ and that you're not drifting from the word. Not, not on purpose, not intentionally, but just through neglect. Neglecting the word. Uh, the book of Hebrews doesn't just talk about, about drifting from the word. It also talks about, in chapter number 3, it talks about doubting the word. In uh, Hebrews chapter number 3, and we'll look here at, uh, at verse number 7. It says, wherefore, now, this is, this is a, this is a uh, we'll read through this portion of scripture. It's rather lengthy, but I think it's important that we understand what, uh, what uh, is being told to us here. But um, Hebrews chapter number 3, verse number 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today... If you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the day of temptation, the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any uh, of you of an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And what's this portion of Scripture talking about? It's talking about uh, the, the authors reminding the readers of that day in Numbers chapter 14 where they are faced with this, this decision. Are, are they going to believe God's word when he told them there's a promised land waiting for you? Or are you going to believe what the ten Hebrew spies that came back with a bad report said? You remember that story? They uh, they, uh, they, had, they had been delivered from Egypt, and they had crossed over the Red Sea, and they had gone out into the wilderness, and this was a journey that should have taken only a few weeks, and they get up to the bank of the Jordan River, they're going to cross over, but before they go, they say, let's send in 12 spies, find out what it looks like, make sure that we're, you know, we know what's going on. They go in, and whenever those spies come back, you guys know the story, 10 of the spies said, Yep, everything God said was true. There's, there's a land flowing with milk and honey. But God didn't tell us about the giants. And there are giants over there. And we're grasshoppers in their sight. That's what ten of the spies said. And two spies said, yes, exactly what God said. It, there's a land flowing with milk and honey. And yes, there are giants. But God will give us the victory. Let's go. Let's believe God's word. Let's believe what God said. What's the story, what's the story tell us in Numbers 14? Well, the story goes that the, the people were influenced more by the ten spies than the two spies. And they said, they actually, if you go back and read Numbers 14, the beginning of that chapter, they're actually getting a captain together to go back to Egypt. Can you believe that? 
They just got delivered from slavery and bondage through the, the, the ten miracles that God, uh, uh, we call them uh, plagues, but I like the pastor calls them the miracles. Uh, the, the, the ten miracles that they saw God's hand moving and work. Could you imagine living, living through that, seeing that, and then going down the wilderness and saying, no, God, we don't believe you. We're going back to where we came from. Now, if you read that story in Numbers 14, God gets very angry, gets filled with wrath, and he said, Moses, let's just start over. I'm going to take you, and we're just going to start our own nation again. And Moses says, no, he, he pleads for the people on the behalf of the people. And so God says, okay, then I'm going to send judgment. And this was God's judgment. He said, uh, for those of you the people that doubted, you will die. You will die in the wilderness. You're going to wander. The, the spies were in the wilderness for 40 days, scouting it out. And God says, for every day that you scattered out, you're going to spend a year in the wilderness, just wandering around, going in a big circle for 40 years. And you will drop, he says, your carcasses will die. That's what he says. God says, your carcasses will die in the wilderness, and only your children will go in. And then, and the only other exception was for uh, um, Joshua and Caleb, the two good spies. And he said, I'll let them go in because they believe me, but everyone else doubted my word. And so you will die in the wilderness. Now, if you continue reading that story, it, it even gets a little more tragic. After the people hear this message uh, from God, uh, they say, God, we're sorry. We, we know we messed up. Well, we're going to do what you said now. And God says, it's too late. And they're like, no, 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 God, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then the, and the, the story goes, the, the way this story tells in number 14 is that they go out, all these people go out. And they're like, God, we're going to believe you. We're going over. We're going to go to the promised land. We're going to claim it. We believe you now. Not realizing God's judgment had already been pronounced. They go over there soundly defeated. And they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness until they die. Why did this happen? Because they doubted God's word. God promised them, that he said, I have a land for you, and all you have to do is go claim it. All you have to do is go walk over. Now, uh, if you, we've gone through this in this class before, um, and especially the, through the first five books of the Bible, you almost see a parallel of what the children of Israel's experience was for what the Christian life experiences as well. Uh, example is whenever they were in Egypt, that's like a, Christian, or a, a person that's lost. They're not saved yet. They're in bondage to slavery. They're in bondage to sin. But then whenever Jesus Christ saves them, they become free. And they're freed from that bondage. They now are no longer a child of Satan. They're a child of God. They no longer are destined for hell. They're destined for heaven. But they still have some maturing to do. They still have to grow in grace. They still have to, they still have to um, learn. And so that's what that time in the wilderness consist of is for Christians that's that time of us growing and maturing as Christians but there comes a moment in our Christian life where we need to go into that promised land now we sing uh, that song on Jordan stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye oh who will come and go with me to the now that song's talking about going to heaven that's what the song's talking about but in the Bible going to the promised land doesn't mean going to heaven it means going to the victorious Christian life it means you're no longer, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the doubting God's word type of Christian. You know, I believe God's word. You're passing over. Now, what's the difference? You, you, you pass through the Red Sea for salvation, right? The, 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 the Passover angel came. The blood was on the doorpost. And, and whoever the blood applied was able to be freed. And that's exactly what happens to Christians. If the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied, you can now go free. But what about maturing? What about perfecting? What about growing in grace. How do, you enter, how do you enter the promised land as a Christian? You get that through surrender. The, the Jordan River for us is not passing over from death, from this life into, into afterlife. That's not the Jordan River is for Christians. The Jordan River is passing from a defeated life to a victorious life. Good. And how do you have a victorious Christian life? You surrender to God. 
you believe his word, you don't doubt it, you don't harden your heart. Like the Bible talks about these, these people in Numbers 14 and in Hebrews chapter 3, they harden their heart against God, against God's word. How did it get to that point? Well, it just started with neglect. It just started with just slipping, but it doesn't stop there. Then it goes on and now you begin to doubt God's word. Does God, does the, can we, I mean, is that really true what the Bible says? Is that really, can it, you know, the Bible tells me I should forgive my enemies. Man, that doesn't seem, I don't feel, I don't feel like I should forgive my enemies. I mean, they've done something terrible to me. They've said things bad about me. they said things bad about my family. I can't forgive that person. But what's the Bible say? You see, we doubt God's word. We doubt God's word. Oh, God can't use me. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm damaged goods. That's what people will say. God can't use me. I've got a bad past. We're doubting God's word. And when we doubt God's word, we just find ourselves wandering in the wilderness. We doubt God's word. Our battle today is just like those, those uh, Hebrews in Numbers 14. Do we believe God's word or not? God told them back in Numbers 14, I have a promised land prepared and waiting for you. All you have to do is go claim it. What he said is just put your foot on the ground. Just put your foot on the ground and it's yours. Just go claim it. The same thing is true of us. God has given us promise after promise, commandment after commandment, instruction after, after instruction. And the battle we all have is do we believe it or not? Have we hardened our heart? Do we doubt God's word or do we believe? Not only do we see instruction here about drifting from God's word and doubting God's word, but in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, if you turn over there, Hebrews chapter 5, we begin to see dullness towards God's word. Dull, dullness towards God's word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth, useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of the doctrines of baptism, laying of hands. So what, what's he talking about here? He's saying, listen, it's... Uh, I'd be able to talk to you about mature Christian things, but I can't because you're still just stuck on the milk of the word. Yeah. And so he's saying we need to move on beyond just salvation. That's what he's talking about in verse number one of chapter six. We need to move beyond just salvation. In verse number two, we need to move beyond just church life, the doctrines of baptism and laying on of the hands. We need to move on beyond the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. What he's saying is that there are certain Christian um, things that certainly you, you need to know as a Christian what I'm saying is salvation's a good place to start. It's a bad place to finish. If all, if all you know about Christianity is just salvation, you're a babe in Christ. And you need to mature. And you need to mature beyond just even a church life and the things we do as a church here. Beyond just doctrine. What about my conduct? What about my character? That's the meat of the word. And so the word of God is saying, don't become dull towards God's word. Don't become like the, the babe that you can't take the meat. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't process. Um, we went out, went out to dinner last night. Uh, we did some Christmas shopping and we went to Sweet Smoke. And they had their special of the day, 
Oh, man, this was delicious. Uh, the special aid was called tachos. Tachos. Barbecue tachos. What is, what is that? I didn't know either, uh, but I'll tell you about it. It's, it's, it's basically it's barbecue nachos, which you know what that is, right? You know, corn chips, you know, barbecue, all the stuff on top of it, sour cream, jalapenos, barbecue sauce, all that good stuff, right? But this is what they did, man. They, 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 this is a game changer. Instead of using corn chips, they used tater tots. It's called tachos instead of nachos. I think I'm going to make it at our house uh, coming up here in a few days. It was delicious. Here, here's the thing. And they, brought, and they brought it out. It was like, it was like in a big, uh, a big like metal mixing bowl <laughs> when they brought it out. And I even lifted it up. I was like, man, this is like a three-pound meal right here, man. This is... I did not finish it all, okay? I did not finish the whole thing. Uh, I, left, I left some behind, like one, one tater tot. But anyway, if you were to have the baby, right? We got a baby in the class today. If you were to take the baby and you were to take that baby, uh, the bowl of tachos, and said, here you go, here's your meal, that baby wouldn't have a clue what to do with that. All that baby wants is milk. That's all that baby can handle is milk. If you try to give that baby a tater tot, it's probably going to choke on it. It's not, not going to go well, right? So the Bible's talking about, as a Christian, we need, to, we need to move beyond just the milk of the word. We don't need to become dull. We don't need to become stagnant. You know, uh, uh, you know it's, it's perfectly natural for a baby to want milk all the time. That's completely natural. That's, exa- that's, all, that's exactly what we expect. But if you're a 25-year-old man and all you drink is milk and you don't eat anything, there's something wrong with you. We'd say something happened here along the way. You did not mature correctly. You did not mature at the appropriate level. And so the Bible's talking about is this, this maturity, and we get dull towards the word, and we no longer believe the word, or we've neglected the word, and we're unskillful. The thing about a baby is, you know, a baby thinks everything's food. Yeah. If, it's, if it's within their grasp, they're going to put it in their mouth because they think this may be food. I may be able to eat this, but not everything is edible. You know, you know, a mature person has discernment. It even uses that word there at the, at, at the end of chapter number 5. It says, who have by reason of use their senses ex- exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, a mature person that can eat meat, we, we, we can discern like, oh, that's actually dog food on the floor. Although a, ca- a kid doesn't know that. kid will go, oh, kibble. Oh, I'm going to put it in my mouth and try and eat it. Because they don't know any, they don't have discernment. They'll put everything in their mouth. And as a Christian, we need to have discernment about what we Put into our and put into our heart, put into our mind. I remind you back to King Solomon's words: "Guard thy heart with all diligence. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Be careful what you're putting inside, because it will have an impact. It will have an effect. And so, as Christians, we need to move beyond just the milk of the word. And the milk's good. There's nothing wrong. I I I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy thinking about my salvation. It's an encouragement to me. It helps me. All those things are wonderful. We sh- I'm not saying to do away with those things, but what I'm saying is we shouldn't stop there. We should continue to mature and to grow that we can handle the meat of the word, that we can handle maybe some hard things that whenever our pastor rep- reproves us, rebukes us, we don't get upset. You know, b- babies, babies uh, can't share. If you've ever been in a nursery before, you know that. You know, one kid gets the toy and everybody else wants it. And they fight and they bicker because they're children. That should not be the case for Christians. Amen. We shouldn't be acting like children that can't share, that are fighting and bickering over small things that don't really matter. They're insignificant to this life. And so he's saying you need to mature. Don't be dull towards the word. Don't become apathetic. Don't become apathetic. You know, the, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is 
I just don't have any feeling towards you anymore. I mean, hate is still an emotion. Hate is still some strong feeling. But apathy is I feel nothing. I wonder this morning, Christian, do you feel apathetic toward God? Do you feel apathetic towards his word? That's good. It's good. If I hear it, if I hear it, I hear it. If I don't hear it, I don't hear it. It's fine. Whatever. As Christians, we should not become apathetic. We should continue to mature and grow. And that affects my conduct and that affects my character. That's the meat of the word. What we, listen, we can sit here all day and we can talk about, you know, you know, doctrines that have nothing to do with us. Maybe interesting, maybe informative, maybe entertaining, but it's not challenging us. What I'm saying is whenever you're challenged, when you come to church and you hear our pastor preaching and he challenges us, that's the meat of the word. It causes, like, okay, I got to do something with this information that was given to me. I can't just say, oh, that was nice. Well, that was interesting. Well, that was a, that was a nice little a nice little sermonette that was up. That was great. No, no, that's milk. We need meat of the word. And as Christians, it's our responsibility as members of this church to respond whenever we're given the meat of the word, to not become dull towards, towards the word and become apathetic. A Christian life produces fruit. A mature Christian produces fruit. Look in ver- uh, chapter number 6 in verses 7 through 10. It goes, on say, it goes on to say, For the earth which drinketh in the rain, and cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessings from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh to cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, that accompany salvation, though we speak thus. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and, to, and, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence in the full assurance of the hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. What's this portion of Scripture saying? As a Christian, we should be bearing fruit. We shouldn't just be full of thorns and briars. If we're maturing as a Christian, a mature Christian should produce fruit. Now, the amount of fruit that you produce, that can, be, that can vary from person to person. If you remember Jesus talking in the parable, he said there were some people that bear 30-fold and some 60-fold and some 100-fold. And so the amount of fruit can maybe vary. That's just God blessing certain people abundantly above others, right? That You can't control that. I can't control that. You know, there's some people, uh, you know, you ever go through those automatic car washes and there's like the options and there's like the, the $4 car wash that's like, we're going to get your car wet, right? That's all it does. We're just going to get your car wet. And then you have like that $6 option that's like, we'll throw little suds on there. And then you have like that $12 option that gets the whole works, right? You get the, you get the, you get the wash, you get the, you get the rinse, you get the wax, you get the tires, the whole thing. Sometimes God gives people the whole package, right? And sometimes he gives some people the, the $4 car wash, right? When you're born, you can't control that. You can't control how much fruit you, pr- you can produce. But this is what you can control, the type of fruit you produce. The type of fruit. What he's saying is you need to be able to bear fruit and herbs that, are, that, are, that, are, that we should be able to present to God. Not just be full of thorns and briars. Because those are good for nothing. As a Christian, we should be maturing and growing and producing fruit. A Christian should be known by their fruit, the Bible says. You should be able to spot the fruit. I've told the story before, but I grew up, uh, when I was in high school, I lived in a town called Ruston, Louisiana. And we had a... Uh, we had a, every year we had a peach festival. And so what we do is all the town would get together, like the center town, and we would have all these different vendors show up. And they basically anything you can do with a peach, they would have it there, right? Peach ice cream, peach cobbler, peach pie, you know, whatever. They had 
quilts that had peach pattern. I mean, you name it, it was just nothing but peaches as far as you could see. And, and, and the reason is because in that part of Louisiana, there were several very large, successful peach orchards. Some of the best peaches you can get in America come from Ruston, Louisiana. And whenever I'd be driving down the road, you could see those orchards off in the distance, and I could tell they were peach trees because they had peaches on them. I'm not a scientist. I can't go study leaves and bark and tell you, well, this came from a certain type of tree. But I can look at fruit. I can tell you if it's a lemon tree or an orange tree. I can tell you if it's a peach tree or an apple tree or a pear tree because there's fruit on it. As Christians, people should be able to see some fruit on us. They should be able to. It shouldn't take like putting us under a microscope to find out if we're a Christian or not. <laughs> it shouldn't take like a, a religious scientist to come out and say, yep, this is, a, this is a Christian. No, there should be some fruit evident in our life that we're Christians. And so we are getting out of time here. Let's, uh, let's, move, let's move on. Okay, uh, so that's doubting the word. And then, um, well, let's, let's, go to, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter number 12, and we'll look at this last one here. And this is where kind of we, we find the end result. It, you know, it didn't start on purpose. It just starts with a little, a little neglect, a little drifting, a little not having your anchor where it needs to be, and that boat begins to drift, and then it, bego- and then it begins to doubt God's word. And then, and then it begins to get dull towards God's word. And finally, it leads to a point where people despise God's word. And I would say that's where I feel like, as, as a, as, and I'm talking about just for America, that's where we're at. In a, we didn't start this way in America. We started as a, 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 a nation that was founded upon Christian principles. Right. Christian principles. Not European cr- principles. That's right. Come on. I, would, I would even say not even Judeo values. Christian values. We were founded upon a Christian ethic. Today you find a nation that despises God's word. How do, how do we get to that point? We just neglected. We just drifted. And then we begin to doubt God's word. And then we, and then we begin to get dull towards God's word. And finally we find ourselves today where time after time, our Supreme Court, our politicians, our presidents have made rulings and laws that go in direct opposition to God's word. They despise God's word. I heard just recently there's a... Uh, I'm, I'm, if some of you guys want to, I'm, I'm half tempted to do this. If you guys want to come with me, we could do it as a gang. In Iowa, the capital, have you guys heard about the capital in Iowa? Have you heard about this? The capital in Iowa, they've, they've, they have put together this, uh, this um, uh, uh, presentation or whatever, display of a satanic uh, uh, idol that was put there by the Satanic Church of Iowa. And according to their religious liberties, they have the right to put this satanic presentation display up in, in the capital of the state. Now, I'm not from Iowa. I can tell, well, let me, I'm half tempted to drive up there and just tackle that thing and knock it out of there. And if I go to jail, I go to jail. I'm just, I'm t- listen, I'm tired of living in a country that despises God. The, the, the reason we have this country is because of the blessings of God. We've received the blessings of God again and again and again, and now we despise him. And we, and, we, and, we, and we erect uh, satanic uh, displays inside of our state capitals. And what do our Christian politicians do about it? Nothing. I'm getting a little sick of it. I, I'm, I'm to the point, it's like, we got to take matters in our own hands. I say vigilante. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm just... <laughs> All right. Okay. Maybe, uh, we're out of time. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. We did not get through everything today. I apologize about that. But if you read in... If you read in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells the story of Esau. Esau. And the Bible calls Esau, in Hebrews 12, you can read it, it calls Esau a profane man. And we think of profane, we think of profanity. But what that word really means, it just means common things. 
That's what that word means. Profane is common things. We should not profane the things of the Lord. We should not take the things of the Lord and make them common, right? That's what that word's talking about. Here, here, here was, here's the error that Esau made. You know the story of Esau? He sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. This was Esau's big mistake. He valued temporary, carnal things more than eternal things. He wanted that bowl of porridge more than he wanted his birthright. What I'm saying, Christians, you have a birthright. Don't trade that for things of this world. Don't despise God's word. Don't despise the word that God has given to us. But it all starts with just neglect. Just drifting, not on purpose, not intentional, but the, but the end result is you begin to despise. That's why you have people stand up and say, I'm deconstructing my faith. <laughs> it didn't start that way. It started with just neglecting it. And now they got to the point they despise God's word. They don't want to be called a Christian anymore because they were brainwashed as a kid. Now they know better. <laughs> what a tragedy. Don't let that be our testimony. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time you've given us. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that you would help us to... Lord, stay close to your words, not be influenced by this world. Lord, not be conformed to this world, be, be transformed by the renewing of our mind through your word. We do pray for this service to come. We pray for our pastor, lift him up to you this morning. We pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, use him in a mighty way. And we pray that you would help us to have our ears open to your word, to be receptive and not be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Christ we pray, amen. You are dismissed.